Welcome to HR Unpacked, a podcast about HR workplace issues, where we analyze and then discuss the latest developments in HR and employment law that impact both employers and employees. Each episode, we unpack the latest legislation and regulations to provide practical guidance on how to tackle the HR issues that are affecting the world of work. Welcome, Kate. Yeah. Um, hi, Jonathan. Great to be back um, and great to be back on the podcast. So this week, um, we're looking at how HR can help identify and support staff facing domestic violence, obviously a really difficult, challenging and sensitive subject matter. Um, however, we are delighted to welcome Sophie Travis, who is the counselling manager at Health Assured. So Health Assured is, is a Peninsula Group organisation, an award-winning employee assistance programme and the UK and Ireland's largest EAP, giving caring and compassionate support to over 15 million lives. So brilliant to have you here, Sophie, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hello. Thanks, Kate, and um, and welcome, Sophie. Um, it's great you're going to be here for this discussion because it's it's such an important thing. And I think with the Depp versus Heard trial um, recently, it's really highlighted through their tumultuous relationship how complex and how serious domestic violence is. And if you look at the the latest stats from the ONS, 1.4 um, million domestic abuse related incidents and crimes were reported last year, which is an increase of six percent. And it represented 18% of all offences to the police. So it is a huge, huge issue, nearly one in, in five crimes. And if you drill down even further, one in six men and one in four women uh, will be a victim of domestic abuse. So it's a big issue for, for all genders. Those stats really are just really an iceberg. There's a lot going on below the surface. People working and people um, spend a lot of time at work. We're going to discuss today what exactly is domestic violence and how can you spot those those signs and those signals should and, and how can HR really get involved with, with supporting staff members who are going through such a really, really hard situation in their home lives. So hopefully we're going to have a really good discussion today about how HR can support and identify these things in the workplace. Yeah, so thanks, Jonathan. I mean, that that, that is the, the primary question today, how HR can and, and should be the ones to integrate a culture of identifying employees who are sadly suffering domestic violence and, and what are the type of support mechanisms HR teams and managers, line managers, leadership teams can put in place to support um, Clearly, it's really difficult. It's really delicate. It has come more to fruition over COVID. Sadly, you know, we certainly get more calls on it here at Peninsula and how it's impacting staff in the workplace and how leaders are in some scenarios challenged really by discussing the matter with an employee because it is so sensitive and so challenging. Um, But just some kind of starter points really about what HR can do. Now, Certainly, as as we're probably all aware from from a legal point of view, you know, as as leaders, as businesses, we have as employers a duty of care for the health, safety, and well being of our staff, and um, you know that's a fundamental of the contractual relationship. So. It's really important we're just not dismissive of the fact that this is going on in someone's personal life, for example, and hence it doesn't impact work. You know, we have got that duty of care. We are responsible for for that person's welfare. We have an obligation to support. So creating that safe environment where people can openly discuss what is what is a difficult matter is really, really important. And let's not forget, you know, it's rare, I would say, but on occasion, a domestic violence or an abusive relationship can be happening in the workplace, be it between two friends, be it between a couple, be it between an, an, an employee and a fellow employee. So, you know, if, if it's that, if it's on that scale, then it, it takes an even 
it's even more important in its basic terms that the employer should be doing more um, and what measures they could be doing to support. Now, obviously, Sophie's going to talk about the support of the EAP and calls that her team scenario and support mechanisms her team have signposted um, to from an EAP perspective. But but certainly from an employer's perspective, look, we cannot resolve domestic abuse situations but what we can do is create a safe environment where you can openly discuss help support look at things like working hours look at things like home working there's, there's a whole host of things but certainly fundamentally signposts to organizations like health assured who are the experts in this field so i suppose on that note sophie it'd be really good to pass to yourself as the counseling manager at health assured to to discuss with us your experiences on this subject matter how prevalent a problem it is and the kind of support mechanisms or signposting you have provided to people going through this situation so if I could hand over to you Sophie and we can get that discussion going that would be great. Just a little bit about my background so prior to Health Assured um, I supported survivors of domestic and sexual abuse um, for the past four years Um, and that was working with a really diverse client base you know men, women, different backgrounds, different ages And it just really highlighted to me that, you know, not one specific person is affected by domestic abuse. Domestic abuse can impact anyone and everyone. Um, And then, you know, certainly in my journey at Health Assured so far, I mean, if we think about the last quarter, I think we've taken an increase of up to 2,000 risk calls into the helpline. And included in that are those domestic abuse and and sexual abuse cases. and the EAP, the 24-7 helpline, is kind of that, that first stop, that first disclosure for people. Um, and it's really important that our counsellors are there 24-7 to take down that information and provide that in-the-moment support and then signposting to specialised services and ensuring that that person is heard and communicated with them and passed on to the correct service and we get we help support them get that support in place. Can I, can I just check there then? What I think it's a really important point that you, anyone can be subject to domestic violence in, in all different ways, shapes and forms, you know, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Is there any kind of prevalent type of issue that's coming through on your line, Sophie? And secondly, you know, what type of specialised services are you signposting to? What kind of support mechanisms? Um, I mean, it really depends what, I suppose what kind of situation the climate is in depends on where we would, would sort of signpost into, but there's support groups like Women's Aid, um, Rape Crisis, and they support men as well, um, you know, it's not just women, uh, shelter and refuge services. We try to always look locally for that individual and make sure that we're getting them, uh, you know, the support locally. We can do onward referrals to ensure that that support happens quickly. Um, and it can even be um, increasing somebody's contact with their community as well, because a huge part of domestic abuse is that coercive control, is that isolation from peers, from community, from family. So actually something that we can do as, as a support line is, how can we get this client to rebuild that support network? Because that gives them strength, that empowers them to maybe leave their situation or or give them some more options. So it can even be community groups relevant to that client as well. I'm quite interested in in how people come forward and having that being brave really in admitting or 
just openly discussing the fact that they that they they are being um, treated in a way which they, which they don't want don't want to be treated because it's such a, a complex term. It, you know, it's not a case of somebody hitting somebody else, which is horrific. It can be quite subtle, can't it? As well. So, what steps do you think people do take or have taken in taking that that the biggest step is coming forward and saying yes, I am. A victim of domestic abuse what what do you think has driven people to to come forward and actually get over that hurdle really and, and say yes i am being abused i am a uh, a victim of domestic violence what what has really kind of urged them to come forward so i think there's there's probably two two elements to that so we do have people i think the more um the more it's kind of that awareness in media you know on tv social media um, and things like that, the more awareness is, is raised, I think the more people can sort of start to relate their own situation to that and go, oh, hang on a minute, that happens in, in my home or in my relationship or in my friendship or, or whatever it is. Oh, that's, that's not right. Um, I think that's the part of it and people can start to realise. And then the other part is I think a huge part of domestic abuse is is kind of this, it's quite hard to to explain and it's not and it's not something that you can really see, but it's sort of a psychological manipulation of the the victim is always at fault. So no matter what the perpetrator does, even if the perpetrator hits that person, they can then create this psychological manipulation where the victim can end up apologizing. You know, for angering the perpetrator to the point of hitting them, and it and it becomes such a thing that that this this person is always taking the blame for absolutely everything going on in their relationship. But by the time they're calling our helpline, you know, they start to talk to our counsellors, and they're saying, you know, I feel I feel all these emotions. I'm feeling anxious, depressed. Um, you know, I'm always at fault. I'm always doing this, and it's our counsellors that have to then reflect that back to the person and say hang on a minute, you know, that's not okay. What you've just shared, that that's abuse. And, and sometimes it's our counsellors that are having to then talk to that person and, and reframe the scenario because this person's going to be so much psychological abuse that they're believing what they're being told and, and actually having that neutral party that is a counsellor on our helpline to say, no, no, that's not, that's not acceptable that can be the first stage for that person. That can be sort of the penny dropping of, oh, actually, my relationship is abusive and I'm not at fault here. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I don't know if you've got any advice to leaders and managers who may have an employee going through this situation because something that arose for me is where there was a relationship of coercive control with, with someone I was kind of close with and no matter how I tried to rationalize and explain that is not acceptable to this person I just couldn't get through to them and it was that exact same thing you described described there Sophie and that that they always put the blame back on themselves and I shouldn't have done this that's why they got mad that's why it ended up in this escalating in the way it did because of me have you got any advice to line managers where they're trying to get into someone's thinking and, and re, reframe their view on how they're being treated? Or should that always come to you guys, Sophie, the experts in the field? I think I think both. And I think the, the most important thing in all of this is to be patient. Um, and it, it, it's really hard to be patient when, you're, when you know somebody's being abused. And 
and all you want to do is protect them and stop it. It, it, You know, patience is not really a word that comes into it. However, you know, statistically, it can take a victim seven seven attempts at leaving an abuser to finally leave. Yeah, so it so it is about that creating that safe space where we're not shutting that person down because if we come in too forcefully and if we say, you know, you need to do this and, and this is this and, and they're not quite ready to hear that or accept that, what can then happen is, okay, well, I'm not going to tell that person anything anymore because when I do, I know they're going to say this to me. But actually being patient and keep having those conversations and, and keep reinforcing that it's not acceptable and trust that eventually that person will start to hear what you're saying. And, you know, so I think having that unified in front of, of line management and, and leaders and whoever saying those things as well, but also, yeah, signposting to the EAP who are also going to reinforce that message because the more people reinforcing that message, eventually that person is going to start to take that on board. Yeah, that's a really good point because you that you could, I've seen scenarios where the ma- the managers kind of got frustrated with the fact that they aren't doing something about it, and as you say, they're quite a startling figure. It takes seven attempts, so that that's a really good piece of advice: be patient and keep reiterating the same position. So, Sophie, are there issues around? Because because whenever I've I've kind of support support people from a HR perspective, when I've you kind of you kind of know the warning signs if you're aware of it and. What I've noticed is that a lot of people that are going through this, when they have tried to speak up to maybe close friends or especially family members, this may sound quite strange, but you well, you might not think it's strange, but to listeners it might sound quite strange. They, sometimes I've been told, well, the family, members, the family members don't believe me. You know, my partner is such a, a funny, wonderful, um, communicative person when they're around them. And they can't believe that they're behaving like they are behind closed doors or they're behaving in this really subtle way where they are effectively abusing somebody. Have you have you kind of come across that where, you know, it takes seven attempts, which, you know, that is horrific, that, for, for, to kind of get through. So do, are there problems whereby the victims are, are telling somebody who is quite close to them, whether it's a family member or a friend, and then they're not getting that initial support back, which then does, does prevent them to getting really proper professional help have you come across that as well oh yeah no definitely and and i think if as well if there's abuse um you know in within a family and that's been normalized so um let's say somebody's parents are in quite an abusive situation what then happens is if that person goes to their parents for support and advice actually their parents are most likely going to reinforce that the abuse is normal and that's the relationship and and that's what how it is, and you just sort of have to get on with it. And and we do hear that a lot. Um, but also, yeah, there is that other side of abusers can be really charming, and mm. and they know how to manipulate, and they know who they need to impress and who they need to show off to to maintain you know the situation that they currently got. And they can be master manipulators. It's a it's a huge part of of domestic abuse. Um, and actually what then happens is the helpline, the EAP, that counsellor taking that call is the only person in that current moment that's believing that person and what they're saying. You know what, I think was great. I mean, forgive me to talk about soap operas, but I, I, I mean it with the best intention, but I think they, they did a great storyline in 
Coronation Street, for example. I can't remember the name of the characters, but not long back, maybe a year ago. And that was all about domestic abuse, but it was all about coercive control. It wasn't about physical abuse. And that that was brilliant, really, to give it profile and to show how domestic abusers are not kind of that perceived, are not what they're always perceived to be. This character was very charming, as you both have said there, you know, very social, great sense of humour and behind closed doors, was an ab- was a complete abuser, mental abuser. And what, what that storyline showed, and, and something that bringing it back to line management and HR, is the character who was being abused, all their behaviour changed. They became very um, introverted. They stopped doing the things that they liked. They um, stopped mixing with the friends, etc. They kind of started to dress differently and it was really explicit about all those traits that changed etc and I think that's a really good storyline and profile for the subject matter which helps in everyday life because as a line manager if you've got a staff member coming in who whose character suddenly changes who looks different who's speaking differently who you know these are these are things you should be astute to and picking up on and asking the individual is everything okay? You know, what's going on? How's your weekend been? And getting closer to that person. So I know I'm talking so operas, but I just thought that was a really good storyline to give it profile. And it also helps people in everyday life hone into individuals that may be suffering and, and notice these little things that we should be picking up on. I don't know what your view is on, on that, Sophie. I know I'm, I've gone a bit left field talking Coronation Street, but I just think it was really good to get it out there to millions of people and you can bring that back to everyday situations. No, absolutely. I think I think the more that it's covered in media and, and the subtleties of it, you know, like you say, not just that somebody's sort of being physically abused, but that coercive control of what that looks like. Because I think for a long time that was that was almost ignored and it's only recently in the past few years been made uh illegal I think um coercive control um so anything that covers it and and creates more awareness I think I think it's great and and yeah in terms of line management and staff that behavior change I mean they could be start being late to work or not showing up for work and it's actually in those formal sort of return to work where you you have that opportunity to, to reflect and say you're not yourself, you know, this isn't you, this is not usual behaviour, is there anything going on um, that can open that, that channel of communication for that person? Just just while we're, we're not really, it was a soap opera because it became on, online, but I, mean, I cited the, um, the, the debt versus herd case before and reading up on some of that case to prepare for this podcast, online, and I know it's online and you've got, you know, the keyboard warriors on, on there, but one of the things that resonated from the case was one of the, and I'm, I'm conscious not to take sides with this, but it, it, it's one thing which really resonated with what people were looking at with the case. Like I think people did actually look at the case and thought, actually, there is something bigger going on here than was actually thought of in the first case in the UK with, with the Sun newspaper. And it's a quote from Johnny Depp. And I want, I'd like to discuss this, Sophie, in terms of whether you've heard this and, and whether you think it is something that happens to domestic um, violence victims. Now, he was recorded without knowing, so he, he's talking to Amber Heard at this point, and I'll cut out the naughty words. And he says to her, but you know what? I love you so many years, but you know what? You didn't exist. 
You don't exist. You're not there. You're not there. You are a made-up thing in my head, and I cannot believe you are doing this to me. Now, when, when I read that, I thought, I, I've seen people go through this type of thing, and I, I thought, I've heard this before, where people have this, and whether it's right or wrong, you know, and I think that's why people do blame themselves. They've got this image of their partner in their head about how they are and and not who they should be, but how, you know, what type of person they really are. And that quote really resonated with what I've what I've seen really. Is that something that you've you've seen before? Is that something which a lot of um, victims think in their heads? So just to clarify, do you mean in terms of um do they have a different version of their of their partner in their heads versus who they are in, in sort of real life? Yeah, he does go on to, to explain because he got asked about that. Um, and he said that, you know, for years that, you know, she was um, very kind, very generous. So it wasn't the it wasn't the image of her that he wanted. It was it was how she was. And then he, he I can't remember the quote, but he says, you know, after a certain number of years, five years, it, the, the real person came out. And that's when he realized he was being he was a victim. So the question is around, yes, do, do people have that thing in their head where they think, well, actually, this is the person who they are and they do love them and, and they are my kind of life partner? Yeah, so actually, this is quite a common cycle in abuse, I would say. So nobody gets into a relationship and, you know, smacks you on a first date because you would never see them ever again. Um, what actually happens is, more often than not, it's, it's called love bombing, which is where it's sort of like a really intense, um, you know, giving that person everything in the world and showing them all the attention and affection and, and compliments. And it, it's almost really over the top, really, really super intense. And, you know, for that individual, they think, wow, this is an amazing person. You know, they really love me. And then what will slowly happen from that point is tiny boundary tests. So, you know, it's what can I get away with and this person is not going to do anything or, or run away from me or anything like that. And so it may be a comment, it may be a humiliation in front of somebody, it may be a push or, and it, and it gradually escalates from there and it can take years to escalate to the full level. But what is always happening is the next boundary being checked, you know, so okay, I can push them and, and they've not left me and they've not broken out with me. What happens if I slap them or what happens if I humiliate them in front of their friends? And, and it eventually escalates until, yeah, there's there's a really serious, uh, abusive situation going on. And, and what the, the victim experiences is that constant trying to get back to that first person that they met, you know, that gave them everything and all the attention in the world. And they think, well, that's the person I fell in love with. We can get back to that. And it's that constant going around and around. Uh, in this cycle do you think that relationships can be restored because it's that's a very controversial kind of question i think you know can you know once you have gone through this type of abuse do you think people do you think relationships can be restored or do you think once it happens that's it i think um if there is an abusive situation and, and one person is the abusive or maybe two people are sort of engaging in, in that level of, of kind of unhealthy in a relationship for that to ever be reconciled the abuser would need to acknowledge that and go through some serious sort of personal work most likely with a with a therapist or or a psychologist and and really commit to doing that work um which is quite rare um i think for them to acknowledge that would would take a lot i'm not saying it's impossible 
Um, I do believe that people can change and have the capacity to change, but they really do have to want to and have to be prepared to acknowledge all of the harm that they've caused. Can we just move on a little bit then towards this? Can, I know we've kind of intimated it, and um, but I'd like to go into, like to go into more detail really around the support requirements. If we start off with HR, Kate, yes. you know, from a HR perspective, yeah. then we'll obviously go on to the, the kind of professional side of it with Sophie. What have you experienced, or what would you kind of expect to see in an organisation? Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think it's a bit of a triage. HR should, HR should be a bit of a triage, shouldn't it? Really, whereby they kind of should spot the signs and then should try and deal with it and signpost it. But what practically can organisations do? Yeah, firstly, and I know it's much more easily said than done, but creating that honest and open and transparent culture, whereas an employer, you're understanding, you're empathetic, you have a good close relationship with your staff member to the point they will feel confident and they will trust you and come and speak to you about the things they may be going through or likewise in return you know the staff member well. So those behavioural um, adaptations that we touched on earlier, you notice them. So that's a fundamental, um, that openness, that transparency, that feeling of safety. Now, with everything HR, you know, you underpin your culture, your ways with policies. So, you know, a recommendation would be that every business does have a domestic abuse, domestic violence policy that underpins how an employer will deal with it, that underpins and, and or ex- doesn't even underpin, explicitly states the support that would be given to an employee should they speak up and share the um, unfortunate and terrible things that they're going through. Stressing, you know, things like it's not the employee's fault, we'll take you seriously. You've got this open and safe op- opportunity to discuss with us how what you are going through and what you're experiencing. And importantly, if you are provided with information like that, look, we we are not counsellors as leaders, but you can certainly act on that. So you act quickly with pace if someone shares something like this with you and you signpost to the appropriate organisation. In our case, you know, it would be health assured um, because Health Assured have the expertise, professionalism, connections, networks to enable them to really identify the specifics of the case and signpost accordingly. Something else we we also have at Peninsula and many of our clients have is, is mental health first aiders. That creates that route to an honest and open discussion where someone can go and speak to someone who's not their line manager, explain what they're going through, get support. And again, the mental health first aider will, will signpost um around well not around the edges around the edges but a centerpiece as well is is confidence and education of line managers so you know certainly we i've trained we've done training internally here at peninsula on the whole subject matter identifying behavioral change what you do under such circumstances if someone is open with you so education 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 as the saying goes absolutely key absolutely fundamental so line managers feel confident and, and assured in dealing with such. Um, you know, there may be a reluctancy to talk about the situation you're going through as an employee because you might feel there might be appraisals or you might feel embarrassed, etc. So making sure your managers are approachable, making sure they're equipped to ask the right questions, open questions about the, how the employee is feeling and genuine humanness, to be honest, Jonathan, where you you are astute to your your staff member and what they're going through. But the key thing is knowing who to signpost them to, who the experts are, and having that support 
on tap for want of a better phrase so it's 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 there if and when it is needed so there's just some pointers Jonathan I don't know if you've got anything to add to that the human in this is absolutely key um but I don't know if you've got anything to add to that yeah I I, I completely agree trust trust is is a, a huge one around this issue and around other things as well and HR should should create that culture of trust and it's very very difficult you know, we, we, we've done some research um, recently around the impact of COVID on trust, and we found that organised the, the, that trust, the trust relationship has actually grown because of um, furlough and other things that organisations have done. But, but actually, most employers are good, and it should be celebrated. You know, most employers want their employees. You can be quite cynical and say, well, it's because about productivity and, and, you know, that side of things. But I think most employers want a happy workforce, you know. Definitely. There's no real reason it, it it's good for business and they essentially want it. So I, I completely agree. I think trust, having that trust and having the the, the underpinning of, of policies to back that up as well. I know we, we, we kind of got our HR hats on, but, you know, you have to have the policies to back it up because that's what really drives the culture. The culture's fine and, and, and one way of driving it is through those policies and procedures. Sophie, from, from your respect then, can I ask you what you think HR professionals should do and then just kind of summarise, if you can do, you know, what you would do if somebody did come forward and say, I am a victim of domestic abuse. I think everything that off the back of what Kate said, really having that clear policy, having that training for the staff and, and making sure people are aware and, and know exactly what steps to take if somebody does come forward within their organisation. I think something that can be really scary for individuals is to start to verbalise what's going on for them. So to be met with a really sort of calm, clear process and and support, I think, would be the most helpful thing for them in that moment. Um, And then certainly sort of people that, when you say people that come forward to me, so Jonathan, do you mean in a in a counselling capacity or in a line manager capacity or both? Um, if, you, if you could do both, if that's okay, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you think for both, please. Yeah, sure. So um, I think domestic abuse comes up in client work more regularly than I would I would like, um, and sometimes I'm working specifically with that sort of client base, so it's something that we're already talking about and, and we're already aware of. But sometimes it will just form part of a conversation with a client that maybe came to see me for a completely different reason or has called the helpline for a completely different reason. And that's when tentatively I would start to maybe mirror and explore what was going on and, and start to gently reflect some of what I'm hearing. You know, you've just told me that, um, you know, your partner takes your phone off you and, and reads through all of your messages. I'm wondering what you think about that and, and allow them to share with me how they experience that. And then for me to say, well, I don't think that's really okay. You know, that sounds like a big boundary breach. That's a lot of control there. You know, do you have their phone? Do you check through their phone? You know, just highlighting gently those power dynamics and those differences and that and that control. And that's really how I would start off that conversation. Because if you go in too hard, if you go in too forcefully, that's when people can shut down and withdraw and, and panic and, and think, oh, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. So it's about trusting that this is the first step in that journey. And actually, they're going to be having a lot more conversations around this. 
um, and I don't have to sort of fix it all in one conversation. You know, one point I would um, make, and then, oh, sorry, Sophie, one point I would make, I, okay. when I, from an HR perspective and a duty of care perspective, you know, I've been talking about um, supporting the, the person who is the victim but obviously, there is a legal obligation to and, and a duty of care to the perpetrator as well. If you are employing a, someone who is the abuser, because you know, arguably, they may be a victim in some form or or some sense as well. So, just thought it's worth pointing that out. You know, of course, as a business, you've got a zero tolerance approach to domestic violence. But if you do have someone who is the abuser, the the extension of duty of care and looking after the the well being does go to them as well to see if there's anything we can support on, help them get out of this cycle. Um, and, and it's just an important point to know because we've talked very much about the person being abused, but there is that duty of care as well to all your employees. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's a, re- that's a really good point. And actually, we do get perpetrators and abusers bringing the helpline that yeah. are looking for support, you know, they, they've had years and years of, of being abusive to various people or maybe one specific person and, and they're calling us and, and going, you know what, enough's enough, what what can I do? Um, and there are um, specialist services that can help people. So I think one is uh, Stop So um, that offer low, I think it's um, low cost sort of psychological interventions and, and therapy and counselling for people who yes. consistently are abusive or and and we do get those people as well so you're absolutely right you know you need to be kind of prepared on both sides of, of who you're going to sort of need to support or if it's two people in an abusive situation that happen to work in the same place you know you're going to have to be able to support both of them um, and in terms of my staff because I know Jennifer you did ask about that it's very similar I suppose in the way that I support clients just allowing them to tell me what's going on, reflecting some of what I've noticed maybe about their behaviour and work and, and changes that I've witnessed and, and sharing my concerns as a as a manager, you know, I'm concerned that this was this was your goals and, and your, your career path and now it seems to be that's not that's not what's going on. You know, is there anything that's changed for you? And just really creating those conversations and and acknowledging that it's not just going to be that one conversation. It's it's all about that patience. And I have to remind myself about that patience sometimes because it, it can be frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's that's, that's excellent. Thank you, Sophie. And um, I think we've, you know, discussed things in a practical level. Um, and just to kind of summarise what we've gone through, I like the way you described, Sophie, how you called it, love, love bombing. You know, it's a, I think it's a really it's a it's a contemporary term. I think a lot of people would would understand what that means. And you know, and and like you mentioned, it's about understanding and raising the awareness and having more. You, you mentioned that straight away, so it's about more awareness of it and having the right terminology. And Kate, you mentioned education, education. Yeah. You know, for line managers, you know, it's having the right terminology. It's ensuring that people are aware aware of what domestic violence is and where they can go. And, you know, I think it's become it's going to become an even not a bigger issue, but it'll become more and more prevalent for organisations to deal with, because I think rightly or wrongly, it, it does exist and it will continue to exist. And we need the right support mechanisms in place. And I think people like yourself, Sophie, in the organisation Health Assured will support organisations in the right way for that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Sophie. Really, 
really insightful and really useful advice as well. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay. Um, thanks, Sophie. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. Just search for HR Unpacked. If you want to ask a question on a future episode of HR Unpacked, click on the link in the episode notes to ask us a question, as well as download the free episode guide. HR Unpacked is sponsored by Peninsula, providers of professional services to small businesses across the UK. Their services go beyond employment law and HR to cover health and safety management, insurance, employee well-being, and much more besides. Peninsula service is always provided by a hand-picked team of experts so you can be sure you're getting the best, all of which means more peace of mind for you and more time for you to concentrate on what you do best, growing your business. Established and headquartered right here in Manchester, they now provide services to small businesses in Ireland, Australia, New Zealand and Canada, meaning that more people than ever are protected by Peninsula.